These last several weeks, we have been considering the ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit uh, who is the Lord and the giver of life. He is also the one in that role that uh, causes regeneration in our lives, uh, that is the ignition of new life, uh, a, a corpse now made alive uh, that begins us on a lifetime of rehab, uh, rehabilitation. And then we saw last week the spirit of adoption, uh, that he relieves us of fear. Um, he raises the intimacy uh, between ourselves and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And yet that also calls us to a life of suffering. Today, uh, a somewhat unusual text, uh, Romans 7, uh, particularly verses uh, 1 through 6, um, that relate, that describe our, well, let's just put it right out there, um, our being married no longer to the law, but to Jesus, so that the Spirit can work in us good fruit good fruit. Well, let us pray before we look into God's Word. Father, I pray that out of um, your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, all of us, uh, being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ our spouse and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Please work in us. We need grace. We need the ministry of the Spirit today. Amen. You may turn with me to Romans uh, chapter 7. I'll be reading just verses 1 through 6 at this time. Romans uh, chapter 7. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Thus, a married woman is bound by uh, law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives um, with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit for God. 
For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. This is the word of God. One of the stories that uh, my mom would tell us as we were growing up uh, was uh, an Uncle Remus tale, um, and the story was uh, Br'er Fox. I don't know if you remember hearing about Br'er Fox, but but he um, was uh, trying to trap Br'er Rabbit, and and in order to do so, he built a, a little figure and coated it with tar. And uh, and the uh, and, and Br'er Rabbit um, would come up to that figure and, and would would uh, sort of attack it. Uh, would 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 punch it with one hand and punch it with another. And his hands, the hands, uh, if you will, of a rabbit would stick in it. He would he would kick it and then kick it again. And 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 his hands and feet uh, would be stuck to that to that tar baby and then he would butt it with his head and he would be stuck at those five points and, and trapped by that tar baby something like that is going on in Romans chapter 7 the latter part of chapter 7 where it describes sin as something that can entrap us and keep us. Look with me, just at verses 19 and then 22 and 23. Uh, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And verses 22 and 23, for I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin. The sin that dwells in my members. Now, have you found yourself um, stuck in your sin something like a Br'er Rabbit. Maybe it is the sin of some form of self-indulgence. Maybe it's the sin of anger or lust or resentment. The thought of what someone has done to you just stays like claws in your brain. So are you stuck in Romans 7? The good, you don't do the good that you want, but you are instead captive to sin. Well, that's the end of Romans 7. Now, the beginning of Romans, of Romans 6 is somewhat different. It's addressing a problem that we've called antinomianism uh, through the years. And, and it's something like this, but that since we are saved by grace, we no longer have use for the law. We no longer need to live 
in accordance with God's law. I suppose there are many reasons why people might drift to antinomianism, but it has struck me that one of the reasons people might do that, I'm not bound to the law any longer, one might say, is because I have lost the hope in Christ that I'd actually be able to do it. And because I can't, I cannot obey the law, I've lowered the bar virtually to ground level and said, none of it counts. Anger feels inevitable. I can't control that, so no big deal. Gossip is inevitable, unavoidable. And yet we read in Romans 6 that sin's mastery is broken. Look with me at 6 verse 6, please. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. I love how um, Martin Lloyd-Jones um, renders that phrase, brought to nothing. He says, sin would be rendered ineffective in your life. Sin would be rendered ineffective in your life. It's interesting to me that the very first command that you find in the book of Romans uh, is uh, 149 verses into the book. The first time God tells you to do something, not just hear, receive, understand, but actually to do something is in verse 11, 611. So, since you are connected to Jesus, since you have died with him and been raised with him to a new life so that you can produce so that you can produce that good fruit consider yourselves that's the command you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus consider it to be true reckon to be reckon it to be true now the end of Romans 7 and the beginning of Romans 6 are among the most famous, well-known passages in Romans, along with chapter 8, you could say. But the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, the first six verses of chapter 7, are generally overlooked. And the only sermon I can remember even hearing on a text is when I preached through Romans some years ago. Maybe people have other have also preached on it. I'm sure people have, but it's it is seldom preached, often overlooked. And I would contend to you, brothers and sisters, it is it is a bridge uh, between the hopelessness of, of chapter seven, the giving way to sin, the, the feeling stuck of chapter seven. And the fabulous promises of chapter 6, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. And it is found in these six verses that we want to look at today. The power of sin 
is broken, it is rendered effective, and the Spirit will bring forth good fruit um, in your life. My theme today for these six verses, this passage tells you that you are married to Christ, so therefore are empowered to live in the new way of the Spirit. You are married to Jesus, no longer the law, therefore serve in the new way of the Spirit. Our passage uh, teaches us that, uh, in fact, states you died to the law. And the law isn't a strange reasoning here, but the law isn't binding on a dead person. Verse 1, you know, do not know, brothers, that from speaking to those who know the law, the law is not binding on a person um, as long, it's only binding on a person as long as he lives. When I die, I will not be hauled into court for any, any sin at all. Any crime against the state. I'm dead to the law. Now, because you are dead to the law, you are also free from it. Look at verses 4, the beginning of 4 and the beginning of 6. Likewise, my brother, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Chapter, chapter 7, verse 6 but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. We've died to the law. We have been released from the law. Now, not for a moment do I want you to hear me say this morning that the law is, is unimportant or that it is not supremely beautiful in the eyes of God and should be in our eyes as well. The law is not dead to you. It is, in fact, 712, holy, righteous, and good. So Paul wants to use an analogy to help us to understand this. And it is the analogy of marriage. When one spouse dies, the other is free from the law of marriage, free to marry again. And if the person does so, they are not an adulteress. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. Thus, or here's a picture for it, Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with or belongs to or is married to another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another, she is not therefore an adulteress. Now Paul is making a very simple statement here. He is not uh, giving any, any guidelines for divorce or re what is an appropriate divorce or remarriage afterwards. That is, that is not in his purview right here at all. It is simply to state your relationship to the law has been severed in the same way that a woman whose husband has died is now free from that relationship to her husband. Now, let's think for a moment. There are several ways in which we were bound to the law. Three that I can think of that I can observe 
uh, from nearby this and nearby text. And the first one is we are bound to the law by having been condemned by it. There is a condemnation uh, that the law of God brings upon lawbreakers. The wages of sin, of course, is death. Amazingly, in Romans chapter 1, the end of Romans chapter 1, it says, even unbelievers know this decree that those who practice disobedience, who practice sin, deserve to die. Unbelievers know that. Under the condemnation of sin. The second thing, though, that law as law uh, does not have within itself the power to change you. Instead, you're like that, that uh, Br'er Rabbit stuck to the tar baby. The Holy Spirit, through the Word, can change us as believers, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. That's second of the part of this condemnation or, or this uh, being bound to the law. The, the third thing is that the law incites you to sin. Uh, verse 5 even, even says that the sinful passion, because you were married to the law, the sinful passions are aroused in you. The law creates more sin. Now, consider the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. What are you thinking about right now? What comes to your mind that you're not supposed to covet? Another person? Another spouse? A better job? A nicer car? A better computer? A newer iPhone? Giving the commandment arouses disobedience in our hearts. Kids, if your mom tells you not to mess with or hit your sibling, as soon as she turns her back, what do you do? The law didn't die. Remember, the law didn't die, but you died to it. You don't belong to it anymore. You're not married to it anymore, in the words of this text. So, first of all, question for you. Um, are, are you free now from bondage to the law? And, and now uh, drawn to the law by its beauty. Are you drawn to the law now because it is beautiful. It describes the heart of God, and you love it. <coughs> Not bound by it in the ways that we've described here, under condemnation, or, or viewing it simply as a ladder to climb rather than the something empowered by the Holy Spirit. You die to the law, first point. Then secondly, um, you belong to Christ instead. You belong not to the law, but you belong to Christ instead. Martin Luther uh, loved to use as an illustration for the gospel a picture of, of a prince who is choosing a wife. And instead of choosing someone that had a title, uh, uh, the, head, the daughter of the head of state uh, nearby or whatever, um, he, he marries a poor and destitute young woman who is ground down by poverty. She is absolutely in debt. 
She's exhausted. She is hopeless. And her spirit, perhaps most of all, is crushed by shame. And the prince marries her. And in the marrying her, um, he absorbs her debt. He pays her debtors himself. And most amazing is he absorbs all her shame. He gives her, he absorbs all the bad, the guilt, the poverty, and the shame. And he gives her the riches of his status. Um, you similarly belong to Jesus, are married to Jesus, um, in what we'd like to call the wonder of, of double imputation. That's really what we've been describing, the double imputation, that is our sins reckoned to, deposited onto Christ for whom, for, and he died for our sins. He takes your guilt, takes also your shame, and gives you immeasurable wealth, the wealth of forgiveness, of a place in, in the family of God, and even of being his wife. Now, we've been given a great check, a huge check. And many times we forget to take it to the bank, forget to cash it. We often live even now as those married to the law, as those who belong in that sense to the law. Thomas Boston put it this way, we are as prone to the covenant of works as fish are to swim and birds are to fly. We're prone to this covenant of works. We will perform for our grace. We know we receive mercy and grace from God, but then our duties and our devotions sort of top things off for the day. So now certainly God will be pleased with me. But belonging to the law is like being married to an abusive husband. There is a threat. You know you can't please him. You know you can't do enough. And you are reminded instead, often daily, of your failures. And what is the fruit of being married to an abusive husband? There is a sense of fear, a sense of insecurity. I'm not safe. I can't satisfy him. I can never do enough. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way, that the psychology of the old life can take much longer to change than its theology. We know the truth. Many of us, for sure, know that truth. But it takes much longer to be changed by it. So we often live with that fear of our first husband. Dear friends, do you belong to Jesus? Do you belong to him? Having put your faith in him, and do you know him as your friend and even your husband? Have the shackles of legalism been broken off of your wrists so that you're not daily carrying that debt around? Martin Luther used to talk about um, 
what, what we call imputed righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus reckoned to us, he called it passive righteousness. And I love that because what it means is we exercise faith in Christ, but then we do absolutely nothing else for it. We are passive in receiving that righteousness as a gift. I, I, I don't know. When, sometimes when I get up in the morning, that's when I used to have a job, really. That when I got up in the morning, I would already feel like I was behind. You know what I'm saying? All the things you've got to do that day, and you haven't even gotten out of bed, and you feel like, oh, I'm way behind already. When, when you get it, that Jesus is your spouse and you have received that passive righteousness, you may get up out of bed and, and before your feet even hit the floor, you can be confident that his full delight is in you already. Lying in your bed, having done nothing, you have the full delight of the Savior. You wake up to him. Well, let's, let's try to be very specific then in putting this into practice. What does it mean then to live by the Spirit? Remember, look at verse 6. Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. What does it mean to live in the new life of the Spirit? Number one. It is to practice, practice living with your gracious husband. And this, I believe, is a fight of faith, faith for all of us. To practice living with your gracious husband. To, to shake off the memories of your first husband. Now, right now, we're talking about our first husband being the law. And it's condemnation over us. And it's lack of power to change us. We shake off the memories of our first husband by not indulging in the negative self-talk that so often comes into our minds. We brood about our failures. We brood about the things that we have done wrong. Uh, and um, we are acting as if Romans 7 has the last word. But dear brothers and sisters, your new husband abounds more in grace than your abusive husband abounded in condemnation. He has more grace. You belong to Jesus. In the words of this text, you are married to another, to Jesus. And don't let your failures doubt him. He's not repulsed by your failures because he came to deal with them. He knows exactly what to do with them. In fact, dare we even say on the pages of the gospel, we are, we are, are, are what is laid out for us is a Savior who is drawn to the brokenhearted. His, his heart is inclined to the blind, to the sufferers, to those heavy with the weight and the burdens of sin. His mercy is just as powerful. The hundredth time you ask for it than it was the first. 
Your only hope is to see the, the, the nailed, scarred wounds of your husband. To fix your eyes on your new husband and daily drink in his mercy. Dare to believe what the prophet Zephaniah has to say about your spouse, Jesus. Dare to believe that your spouse rejoices over you with gladness and quiets you with his love. It is so appropriate for us to come into his house and to give him praises and to rejoice and to delight in him. But the way we're able to do it can you believe it? Is that he rejoices in you. Quiets you with his love. Challenge your insecurity by rejoicing in your, in your husband. Uh, each day, uh, maybe I've told you, I want to tell it to you until you're tired of me saying it. <laughs> Wake up in the morning, the first text that I look at, these days, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Soak in the truth of Ephesians 3, verses 16 and following, which I prayed right before this service. Spirit, enlighten my eyes. Enable me, give me strength to even believe that I have as the spouse of Jesus this love that is, is wider than can be conceived. It is, it is longer, it is higher, it is deeper than anything you can conceive, conceive of. Let us rejoice. Rejoice in our gracious husband. And then the promise is that you will then bear fruit. Expect to bear fruit. A friend of mine put it uh, some time ago. To, it just caught me. He said, he, said, uh, he described what, what they in their church are calling Holy Spirit sightings. Holy Spirit sightings. And what he was getting at was that when you see the Holy Spirit producing fruit in sinners where people are able to love other people and forgive other people and lay down their lives for other people. That is the Holy Spirit sighting. Such a vision of Jesus that our hearts, our, our desires are conformed to him that we lay down our lives for one another. You see, this, this is telling us that belonging to the law, verse 5 says, that, that uh, sin is aroused in us. And, and verse 4, the, the, the last part of it says that it belonging to Jesus arouses righteousness. You see, not being under the law doesn't produce lawless Christians, but people who love to serve Jesus. We belong to Jesus, not the law, uh, so that we have a completely different motivation as we serve the Lord. Obedience for us is, is, not, it is not just a job. 
It's a joy. Uh, when when I when I first um, retired um, back in back in December, I was I I hovered around the kitchen, Gail's office, and uh, would would uh, if I could anticipate something that she would need a particular nine by 13 pan, whatever it might be, I'd get it for her. And, and she put up with that for a couple of days, I think very graciously. And she said, she said, I need some space. My, my point is that we love to serve. As uh, John Piper put it, must you kiss your wife? Yes, but not that kind of must. Likewise, must you obey the law? Yes, but not that kind of must. The new life in the Spirit, the end of verse 6, uh, gives us a change of desires we want to please Him. This, this is a prayer that I offer each day to the Lord and I commend it's part of a prayer that I offer each day to the Lord and I commend it to you. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen within me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Another way to phrase that prayer is give me a vision of Jesus' love for me. Plug in Ephesians 3 prayer right here. He loves me with, without any limitations. So Spirit, um, cause love to grow up in, into my life and, and my thought process is as I'm praying Lord show me a fresh sight of Jesus and his love for me so that love will be overflowing similarly um, pray for joy and, and we remember the words from John 14 where Jesus says I, I've spoken to these things to you so that listen to this I've spoken this gospel to you so that my, my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. How do you get full of joy? It's by knowing the joy that Jesus himself first has and shares it with you. That my joy may be in you, and yours may be full. So you pray for the work of the Spirit in you, but it is a prayer to know more of Jesus, to know the peace that he has won, that is now yours, and so forth. <clears throat> the, the, third, <clears throat> the third aspect of this living in the Spirit and walking in the Spirit is, is admittedly a paradox, and it is this, that you will find yourself getting better, producing more fruit. And yet at the same time, this is the paradox part, repenting, not less, 
but more. I'm getting better, but repenting more. Now, when you're married to the law, it's, it's almost impossible to be honest with other people and with God. Um, remember, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about our parents in the garden, and they hid from God. As soon as they sinned, they, they, they covered up, they hid from God. Had to find someone else to blame. And oftentimes in our families and in our churches, confession is both painful and rare. I remember a dear Christian woman saying to me some years ago, um, talking about, about repentance, and she said her Christian husband never admits that he's wrong. And never repents and confesses to her. What's going on there? Professing Christian, but he hasn't really let go of his first wife, the law. New life in the spirit, therefore, brings the freedom of honest confession. A quote from one writer from Repentance requires greater intimacy with God than with our sin. Repentance requires that we draw near to Jesus no matter what. For many of us, intimacy with anything is terrifying. And yet joy grows as your repentance grows. Pallison puts it this way. Uh, you must have the right expectation as you grow in grace. Um, you must have a vision of ongoing growth that is colored by ongoing failure. Romans 7 doesn't go away. Um, we don't outgrow some of those tendencies that are described in the end, the end of Romans chapter 7. My daughter um, drew my attention many years ago to, um, and I'll never forget this, and I always thank her for this, but Proverbs 24, verse 16, which says, The righteous man falls seven times and rises up. You see, a Christian man is not one who never does wrong, but a man enabled to repent and pick himself up and begin over again after each stumble because the Christ life is inside him, repairing him all the time, C.S. Lewis. You'll see progress and an ongoing battle with sin. You will see encouraging growth and embarrassing failure. But a growing Christian will repent more quickly, more easily, and will discover, amazingly, that repentance doesn't kill you after all. It only feels like it. A friend of mine, ahead of me at Westminster Seminary, said this uh, about um, said this about Sam, uh, about uh, Cornelius Van Til. In the course of one of Van Til's lectures, um, he broke off from his from his argument and said as an aside the older I get the more I know I'm a sinner 
And the more I know, I need Jesus. So dear friends, we're about to take the supper. Um, and it is an opportunity to refresh ourselves that we have broken off our first marriage to the law. And we are now in the early phases of that marriage supper of the Lamb. But do you belong to Jesus? Uh, do you have bold faith to refresh in your heart every day his great love for you? And finally, check with each other around the dinner table today. Is the Holy Spirit observable in your life? Do you see it in one another? Do you see him in one another? Do you see Jesus shine through one another? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus. And we come to you as people often more familiar with the downside of the end of Romans 7 than the upside of Romans 6. And we pray that we would have our marriage to Jesus cemented in our minds and hearts so we would be motivated by, changed by, energized, energized by the glorious grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.